Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. We are doing this season, 1982, and this is the final in-competition film that we're doing for 82. We have a couple more bonus episodes. Um, I, I believe that uh, we've got a mixtape still to come out. Uh, we're going to do a couple movies that start with V, which are important. But this is the last one that could actually take the whole thing down. And by that one, I mean the film Tootsie. Tonight is a game show, not just a film comp- uh, conversation, but also a competition. It is a game show where I will bring in two contestants into the gladiator arena and they will duke it out, hopefully with words, although Greg is here tonight, so might get a little bit fisticuffy. Uh, I brought my punching fist, so I did. So, yeah, that's the kind of peaky blinders we have on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and whoever uh, Greg is fighting, I have not announced his opponent, but it's somebody that I think you guys are all going to be very surprised by. Uh, they're going to fight it out to see who I think is the best talker of Tootsie of all time. Greg, you are here tonight. Are you ready to do this? This is the last time for for you to you could be my best friend for months on end after this. Yeah, show. it the, you always want to get the one the last one in contention because it really it keeps you in the driver's seat for a long time. Allows you to be the one who says, "Well, as I was saying to my best friend the other day," which you sort of shout into the face of the other guy. Uh, it's. You don't want to. You don't want to fumble the ball away here. You don't want to pull a mic, as they call it. Yeah, it is called a mic, or more specifically, a microvania. When you, uh, if you were to win tonight, Greg, and let's be honest, you probably will. Uh, for the bonus episodes, you get an air horn that yeah. you can just. So the the bonus episodes are not scored. You will have already mm-hmm. won, and you get an air horn that you can just blow into your podcasting microphone for the entire duration of the episode. Yeah, a lot of people would argue that doing short intermittent bursts would be funnier. Mm-hmm. Not me. I just I'm going to lay down a carpet of air horns. Like, it's for funny, every but then episode. it's not funny again. Yeah, but then it's funny yeah. again. Yeah, and I just you know how long did you last in the air horn podcast? Oh, I made it about 15 minutes, but then I had to give up. Too much air horn. Now, air horn is how most people would describe Greg's style of comedy. Let's figure out how to describe this person and you know what greg as the uh, future winner of tonight's episode why don't mm-hmm. you bring this person into the gladiator arena okay i'm going to just randomly point to somebody in the audience oh yeah you, White sir can't jump. sir you the the man with the big sombrero on two contestants both alike in dignity and that they have none in fair burbank where we lay <laughs> our scene from ancient grudge break to new mutiny from forth the fatal loins of these two foes Mike, you got to give it up for that, right? Yeah, I I, I accept that Mike is going to get that. Where civil so, blood makes civil tongues unclean. Oh, Making it about going. podcasting. Just, oh reading. wow, okay. He's just he's just reading from the internet. Um, the so, internet what now? <laughs> <laughs> I've never even heard of this. Not I've certainly no, never been on it. Not knowing about the internet, that's that's a strong case for you to win this entire episode. Mike, do you think that you watch Tootsie harder than Greg? I watch Tootsie so gosh dang hard. Hold on. How hard did you watch it? That I had to go to the doctor because it was harder for 48 hours. <laughs> Priapism. It's an important condition. Look out for it, everybody. Now, we uh, arranged these movies uh, randomly, alphabetically. I don't remember. Uh, Tootsie. It turns out that Tootsie is the last. It was Tootsie the scariest? Guys, coming down the pike. Uh, <laughs> had you seen Tootsie before? And were you nervous that there was a 1982 film about a dude dressing in a dress. 
hadn't seen it. Uh, it's one of the still ones have I it. still haven't refused to. Uh, I don't even know who's in it. Uh, there's been other comedies that do this to varying degrees. Uh, sorority boys would probably be horrifying to watch from 2000s. Uh, sorority boys is horrifying. <laughs> it makes me say, "Oh my god, Gersberms." And then fifteen to thirty feral sorority <laughs> hogs. <laughs> that is not a way to talk about sororities, Greg. <laughs> Disgusting. If you learn nothing from watching Tootsie, and then there's Mrs. Doubtfire, which doesn't to talk about gender at all. So, wh- wh- which would this go? Going in knowing it would talk about gender, yeah. it was terrifying. Yeah, it definitely. Uh, you like there's like a lot of like kind of like gripping the side of your chairs as certain scenes start, and. I have to say, I think it it navigated through some pretty choppy waters, and there was the occasional line where I was like, wait, what? But the fact but that you the, use the word occasional. Right. Yeah. I think for the most part, it presents itself as a very likable, pretty darn funny, but never entirely comfortable mm-hmm. comedy. <laughs> I don't think you could ever, even at the end, you're just like... There's so much. I watched it twice, and even the second time, I was still like, oh, God, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. And isn't that, that feels like, what a perfect vehicle for Dustin Hoffman, then, because yeah. that, that is, when, before he's, like, coasting it in the Meet the Fockers sequels, like, that is his, him, him and his heyday, he's an uncomfortable guy in, like, the best mm-hmm. way. You're never sure what you're going to get, and watching this, how much of Michael is in Dustin, I think it's a fuck ton. Oh, I think it's a lot. We should definitely get into that. But before this movie came out, he was Lenny Bruce, Mm -hmm. right? So that's sending you some vibes. And then he was uh, one of the Kramers, the dad Kramer, who had to... The guy that would burst in all of a sudden without knocking. And just be like, divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Divorce, Jerry. And uh, oh, I'm getting it. But like he he was the dad who was left by the mom and had to do all the mom roles as the dad. So yeah, this I don't know. Looking back, did we see this coming? Is this where yeah he got the idea? <laughs> what if I could just do the mom roles professionally? Is this the Dustin Hoffman Avengers basically? Is this all the Dustin Hoffmans coming together? I mean, they don't don't they kind of allude to that, like with his playing all the different types of characters at the beginning mm-hmm. of it, like playing a little kid, playing <laughs> a tall man, which. I'm not so yeah. sure. Settle down. I mean, there, is that Dustin. believable? Uh, did um, Michael Dorsey graduate college? Probably. So he's the yeah, graduate. He's a graduate. He probably slept yeah. with somebody's <laughs> mom once. <laughs> he probably <laughs> did. Uh, guys, there's so much to get into. I do think that this is, as far as like blockbuster comedies go, one of the more dense texts that we're ever going to get into. So should we just dive into it? Let's, Let's do it. Dive right in. Well, we can't because there's one more rule. I have had a phrase stuck in my head. There's a wrinkle in this game. I've had a phrase stuck in my head, which I will describe to you guys as uh, blank, the devil's blank. So anytime that you guys use that phrase tonight but fill in the blanks, you're going to get a point as long as it's not terrible. So, for instance, if you were to say, Mrs. Doubtfire, the devil's tootsie, that is going to get you a point. Okay? Oh, wow. If you are down, if you're feeling down, if you feel like you are lacking points and you need to catch up, start throwing that in organically. If it feels forced, it might be a point for the other person. So, I want to see if I'm doing this correctly. Sure. So in the scene, they ate a salad. You know that's mostly made of arugula, the devil's lettuce. Mike. <laughs> Mike, that was golden. Greg, you want to try? Okay. How about um, Mike, the devil's Greg? <laughs> Greg. That's pretty good. All right, so that rule is in full play tonight. 
on the final scored episode of the 1982 season of Movie of the Year, Tootsie. The idea for an out-of-work actor who dressed like a woman to get parts bounced around Hollywood for the better part of the 70s until Dustin Hoffman grabbed it and ran with it. Hoffman committed so hard to the movie and the role that it essentially became fast-tracked, and the rest of the main players were quickly added. The movie became Tootsie, featuring Dustin Hoffman as actor-slash-asshole Michael Dorsey, who was told by his agent, played by director Sidney Pollack, that he has essentially been blackballed from the industry. Michael Dorsey gets the idea to become Dorothy Michaels, a southern woman that takes the soap opera world and then the actual world by storm. Fantasy movie. The film also stars Jessica Lange, Terry Garr, Bill Murray, Dabney Coleman, and Gina Davis, with a script written by such luminaries as Mashes, Larry Gelbert, and uncredited work by Elaine May. Making a few million dollars in its first December weekend of release, the film became a smash hit, grossing almost $200 million in America, and would have been the highest grossing movie of the year if it wasn't for an even bigger phenomenon, that little bitch E.T., It's hard to believe that a movie in 1982 that features a man that dresses like a woman, working in show business, and falling in love with Jessica Lange, handles gender, queerness, and sexuality even remotely close to 2022 standards. So let's start there. Taste Buds, I ask you this. This movie obviously engages with gender, but what are its messages about sex and sexuality? And are those messages comfortable to modern sensibilities? I think it has... It's messages about sex I, I am more comfortable with than it's messages about gender. It feels like it's messages about sex are whatever you want to do, you are contr- in control of it, and other people need to understand that at all times. It's me- Is that the message, though? Because it, when it comes to sexuality, at least, it very much feels like uh, Julie like gets in touch with what she thinks is like homosexual feelings for Dorothy and then she's like, we have to discontinue our relationship mm. forever. Like, it seems like they never, they, the movie talks about the concept of homosexuality, but it doesn't show us anybody who is right. gay. And so gay is like this thing that exists as a concept in the universe, but everybody is like afraid of it or worried that it might be going on. And because of that, it, it just, it feels like a, 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 a kind of an unabsorbed element within the movie and all the only things you could say about it were that the movie obviously has like a very, I don't know, negative view or a very terrified view I, of homosexuality. I think, well, terrified is negative. But yeah, it, it, what it feels like <laughs> is I don't know what to say about it. So we're going to just barely touch on it. Because that's, took- that's, that's what I feel. I feel like uh, uh, Seth Rogen, or I'm sorry, Jonah Hill in Knocked Up just saying shmush morsen uh-huh. as a mm-hmm. way to make fun of not saying abortion, but also... At the same time, not seeing abortion. The Julie Dottie scene to me, it I guess it didn't. I read it as they'd become so close that it, I didn't read it as Julie having feelings for Dottie. It was her being like, I can't give you what you want. And I think that'll be harder for both of us in the end. So I have to step away. But maybe I, I misread think when that. she like, is like looking at her and be like, being like, I want something that I can't have. And she's like looking directly at her. Now, when Dorothy goes to try to kiss her, she's like, oh, no. Yeah. But there's a second Mustache. where she's like looking directly in her eyes and saying, like, I want something that I can't have. And then I think there is something very real in the way that she's like, we have to not be friends mm-hmm. anymore. I mean, she's going to like basically never see her again rather than admit to herself that she's got these like feelings and this is kind of an interesting play on something that always happens in these 
like gender swapping stories, which is that so, like there's they always explore what happens when people have feelings for one another. Right. Uh, and so it's kind of a, a play on that. But at the same time, it just feels like, I don't know, the wor- it, it never admits that it would be OK if somebody were were gay. Right. Like that doesn't seem like an OK option. It doesn't seem like trans identity is like something that's understood by the movie. Not at, at all. all. I mean, either. the, the like, agent constantly, even after Dorothy's success, is constantly like, go to therapy. What is wrong with you? We're, yeah. This is going to well, fall apart on all of us. I think one of the great dichotomies of the movie is Sidney Pollack and Bill Murray. Because Sidney Pollack is, the, is solely responsible, not solely, but mostly responsible for all the gay and trans panic mm-hmm. in this movie. To, to the point where it's a joke. Yeah, and Bill Murray always feels like he's about to dabble in it, but doesn't. Either he doesn't care enough to like make it an actual concern of his, or the joke is better than the concern or whatever. But I feel like Sidney Pollock is the whatever this generation's version of it, of the boomer is, and look how ridiculous yeah. mm-hmm. he is for all of it. And then everybody else seems okay with everything that the movie will allow them to be, although definitely not going as far as. A, a Tootsie remake in 2022 would do. No, there's there's a definite ceiling to what they'll allow. And my, if I had a bigger issue, so so if homosexuality is just this invisible force we don't see, gender, it really feels like the message is it takes a man being a woman to show women what they should actually be How, like. Yeah, and right. That, like, I'm, maybe I'll say if you right just now, stood I'm, up for yourselves, ladies, you wouldn't be so ground under the heel of the patriarchy. What if you just one time said, hey, mister, that's not acceptable yeah, to me, bud. Just be what a if- dude about it. Even <laughs> though one of the first lines as Dorothy, Michael says, what is idiotic about power? Or like he says that his big speech that gets in the role. And then the director's like, what's idiotic about power making a woman masculine? And Dorothy's like, you missed ev- the point of everything. But Michael and the movie are missing the point of everything. Yes, but... Dorothy is much smarter than Michael. Yes. And Michael and, acknowledges that. And I think that's important. That's like this thing of improv. of Specifically like, emotionally and t- more yeah, intelligent. Yeah. When I am in this character, like I, you could talk about that's what a great actor Michael Dorsey is or what a piece of shit Michael Dorsey is. Yes. But Dorothy is so much smarter than Michael. And I see what you guys are saying. I definitely do about feeling like there's this lesson of like just man up act more like men and then it'll be fine but the way that i see it like i i, I want to she look- basically tells an abuse he basically says to an abused woman like you should just not take this like and she's not really abused because she's just a character playing the role even within the the reality of the movie but it's kind of like his message to abused women in that instance is you have to not put up with this yeah but in the you scene have to say though this is unacceptable in the scene though it's saying you should go to a halfway house and get therapy but i like i want to i want to point to a scene where uh michael and Cindy pollock his agent are walking down the street and this is after dorothy has hit it big and he's like dorothy needs a show right. dorothy needs like a one woman show where it's like a variety show and i'm doing a lot of things because i understand women and this is michael returning to like uh you're still a selfish piece of shit but something has changed in michael and i don't think the message of the movie is hey women become men because men are superior i think it's more like you know that whole that that picture of like you can't just climb up the mountain for if you're like 
you know, uh, put upon. You have to have the other people that are on top of the mountain lift you up mm-hmm. as well. It's about men changing to understand women I th- as opposed to... I think to... it's about women manning up and, and men womaning. Yeah, yeah. I think it's both genders should learn from the other one. Fine. Yeah. But because of sheer numbers, there are more women who learn from Dorothy... And we just see Michael learn the lesson of femininity gives him a strength. And he does really, like, he almost says that by the end of the movie. He says, femininity is the best part of me. And I think What's that's a very huge. confusing line that he says? What? About, I was a better... I was the best man, the best yes. man I ever was was with you when I was a woman. Yeah, something like that. It's a good line. But, I, I, you know, part of it is the movie also is, like, very gender essentialist, which is, like... There are things that women are, and he becomes those things Mm -hmm. to play a woman. So, like, he develops that emotional intelligence because that's something that women just naturally have in the understanding of the movie. And And I just, again, like, the movie, I I think it's a very warm movie in a lot of ways. And it's also a product of, like, a hyper-conservative time. And there's a lot of things it's not trying to do. There's, like, it's not trying to rewrite the book on a lot of things. But these are the issues that we've brought up. These are the issues that keep it from ever being just totally a comfortable experience to watch the movie and just have a good time with it. Okay, so what if we start here? Like, is it important when you watch Tootsie to figure out if you are starting embracing or you're starting arms crossed? Is that mm-hmm. a big part of it? I, I was starting like kind because of I, I could see My how like everyone. You, I, I could see how this movie would offend everyone, and I could see how this movie would like coax everyone mm-hmm. into liking it at the same time. I, I think this movie is one of the times where it's most important to remember the historical context of when it came out and there's certain the go-go 80s the go-go 80s but it's it's 82 right reagan's america (laughs) aids has been ignored by that like so for them to i think pollock and and everybody else involved want to tell a certain story but they want it to be big and blockbuster and know what they have to dance around so homosexuality is this weird invisible force because there's no way it would do gangbusters. And this is like planting seeds in racist, homophobic grandmas and grandpas all over the world of being like, oh, I'm laughing, but now I'm thinking. Like, yeah. And doesn't it kind of, isn't it kind of a trans text just because it does talk about the reality of someone going out and not living their assigned at birth mm-hmm. gender. And so even if it doesn't try right. to talk about that, doesn't it like ultimately it's still, it does depict that a version of that experience. And so it sometimes we uh, maybe cut off our nose to spite our face. Like we're like, we wouldn't even want to have the representation at all. It's at least something It's at least some text that says it wouldn't be the end of the world. If the, the, the being that grew up as your son wore a dress one day that right. wouldn't like end everything <laughs> absolutely yeah i do think it's open eyes and i do think that like there's scenes like when uh michael is sitting with his roommate and preparing for the next day and i think it's like after the first day of work and for the second day of work you're like oh this is gonna be great forever and then <laughs> a year goes by or whatever and you're like i found the perfect this job shit <laughs> fuck this shit and that goes for every job not just this one but um he's talking about what uh, i think my wife has told me is the called the pink tax of how yes. people, oh my god people will just they'll just add more money to literally everything girls do whether it's, it's haircuts or yeah uh well it's because girls make so much more than guys right <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> um and it's because you have to make the thing pink because they refuse to use anything that's not and pink, pink is and that's very like the most expensive as far color. as colors go yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's the pink one. tax the pink tax that's why they call it that. Um. but the way that the movie treats it is just like uh i'm uh, 
Dorsey is treating it like this is yet another fucking speed bump in my acting career. This is yet mm-hmm. another thing that I have to deal with. But it's not like it's not pointing fingers and making fun of ladies. It's just like very seriously talked about. And that's the kind of thing that I the kind of thing that I think the movie does well. And I think there's also just like a reality to like the easiest way to get men really to think about feminism is to be like, hey, there's a way in which this is also suboptimal for you. Right. right. Like we can try the way of only arguing like, well, you know, women are people. And so people should like have equal rights. But if you can find another way to couch the argument, which is, hey, this is bad for the fellas as well. I think that there's a whole bunch of guys who are like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm now I want to hear a little bit more about this because it's, it's speaking Work. to me. And I do think in a very, very subtle way, Bill Murray's character does go through this. Oh yeah, for sure. You see him get uncomfortable with it, and then he just moves on from it so quickly. And in, in a way, I think that's a very realistic, like, I think it's the way the best way a dude could react to it in 1982. Maybe. And, yeah, I mean, like, it's not the panic jokes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this movie has a couple that we could get into, but it's not the extreme panic jokes of, what'd you say to me? And it it's honestly Bill Murray, like, sitting there and listening. Like, I had no idea this world existed and, but of it's, women. It's interesting, and maybe it had to be Bill Murray and his character for that, because he has that detached... He doesn't interact with any of the world, f- both feet forward. Like, he's detached mm-hmm. from everything and is a little uncomfortable by everybody. Well, he's writing a play, Mike. And so he is just always sitting back and outside and mocking literally everybody. And I, I think why he's such a great character, he mocks Michael more than he mocks Dorothy. Mm-hmm. He has problems with... By the end of the movie, he has issues with Michael. Mike. Uh, yeah. Well, a, a big thing for a big thing for him is like if you if you if this were a healthy thing you were doing, I wouldn't have a problem right. with it. If you were like, no, this is my gender expression that's important to me, that wouldn't be a big issue with that character. His whole thing is, you're not doing this in a healthy way. You're doing this for a weird reason, and you're carrying it out in a weird way, and you're asking me to reorganize mm-hmm. my life in an unusual way. And her that's people, work. like they're both, they have this long-term friend, yeah. Sandy, who Michael gets involved with romantically. And Michael says, I'm lying to Sandy for her own good. It would break her heart if she learned yeah. all the truth. And Bill Murray's like, oh, you're going, I'm pretty worried you're going to hell for this. <laughs> but doesn't have the ability to like, there's a point where the agent, Cindy Pollock, is like, nobody will hire you, dude. Like you suck, you're awful, blah, blah, blah. Telling him all the things that he needs to hear that he still doesn't listen to. Uh, Bill Murray just has to be there like, this is so weird, man. This sucks. What you're doing is awful. But hey, here's a, here's a punchline and let's live together. Well, he's giving him eight grand to produce his play. So That's true. Yeah, dude. I think you just kind of hang on like, oh, yeah, you're really going through it, huh, bud? That's true. Bye. All right. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do the Ghostbusters of 1982. The, the Ghostbusters? You mean the Devil's X-Men? Break. Rushmore. It is the end, close-ish, sort of. We only have a month or two left of the 1982 season, and tradition dictates that we create what if the Ghostbusters came out not in 1984, but all the way back in 1982. What? Who would have started it? Madness. How would Hollywood have tried to sell as many tickets as possible to get comedians, actors, stars into Ghostbusters? So what if instead of in 1984 saying 1984's biggest stars, we went dial the clock all the way back to 1982's biggest stars? You, the, the way you say it, Greg, seems impossible. But I think yeah. that the three of us could do it. Uh, 1982. The devil's 1984. <laughs> Ryan. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> we, uh, 
Uh, as always on my season, there is one actor who will get you three points instead of just one if he goes or she goes directly to the mountain. Shit. So, with that, Mike, because you just fucked up the devils, the easiest point possible, uh, you're going first. Who is going on this mountain? Uh, this person is so hot in 82 uh, and also was supposed to be in the original Ghostbusters. wasn't, so I want to live in a world where they are. Uh, they owned the screen and the stage on SNL and 48 Hours. It's Eddie Murphy. I think Eddie Murphy has to be 1982's Ghostbusters. Now, it's possible that you might have forgotten that uh, we did 48 Hours in yeah. this season of Movie of the Year. Um, if that's the only wor- award that 48 Hours gets, would that be okay? Yeah. That Eddie Murphy is a Ghostbuster. All right, and he is. Greg, you're up. All right, so uh, you definitely need big comedians, and uh, I think you need ones who can do um, a little bit of slapstick, who have, like, a lot of range. And maybe you need one who is also a heck of a banjo player. But I think you have to at least consider putting in one Stephen Martin into your Ghostbusters. I, I think he could do a lot of good falls. Maybe uh maybe like put the the make it look like the blaster's going through his head or something. A lot of good opportunities <laughs> there. I don't know. You writers <laughs> figure that out. Yeah. That's up to you. We're gonna bring in pros on this kind of thing, okay? Or you know what would be like Steve? Here's the there's a costume, here's the the props. Just make it work, big guy. Pretend you see ghosts all over and bust them. Now I love Steve Martin, but in 82, it was Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, a movie that we yeah. tried so hard to get Which on the show. Which we wanted to see. Uh, before <laughs> that was Pennies from Heaven. It's been three years since The Jerk. I'm going to put him on the maybe pile. The Jerk is specifically the movie I was thinking about, though, because he does a lot of physical work mm-hmm. in, in The Jerk, and I think that he's got, he's got, he's got what it takes. Even in 1982, people And he's been crushing it on SNL as a wild and or crazy guy. Yeah. Mike, what do you uh, got? Got Mike's backing on that, which I appreciate. We want to get the kids, right? And maybe this is the perfect time to call somebody up from TV to the big leagues. And wouldn't it be funny because the it's 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 snobs versus slobs, and the Ghostbusters are slobs. But what if one of the slobs wanted to be a snob so bad? We're going over and getting Michael J. Fox playing basically his exact character from Family Ties. Michael As J. A Fox. Snob. As what? a snob. As a snob, but who's one of the Ghostbusters? Okay, uh, I see it. I see it. Uh, Eddie Murphy and Michael J. Fox. Maybe together. his like his dad owns the building. Yes, <laughs> his dad's real chill, and he hates <laughs> it. And he's one of those landlord landlords, the devil's best friend. One of those characters who wears his Letterman jacket like six, seven years after oh, so long graduation. Yeah. He lettered in freaking Piccolo. <laughs> All right, that's a that's a good baby. The devil's flute. The devil's flute. <laughs> that's there you go. Mike. Uh, Greg, what do we got? Um, other big comedy luminaries at the time that again had a a slapsticky persona. I'm was surprised this man was not in um in Ghostbusters to begin with. One John Belushi. Mm, he's still alive. Mm. Uh, in 19, 1982? Mm-hmm. I think so. Oh yeah, he's I know not, he's not he still alive today. No, yeah, I think he has passed. Um, but. But the, the kids love Belushi, and the kids want to see him in there shooting uh, ghosts. Greg. He's in. He's a Ghostbuster. Yeah, I don't appreciate Mike's fat joke of calling him the Slimer of the movie, but uh, no, he's in. He called him well, the Devil's Slimer. Slimer was based on Belushi, so I was just <laughs> teaching some history, dickheads. Mike, what do you got? 
Uh, he owned the small screen for years and started to climb up. Uh, people loved him. It was the biggest show, even though it was about the Korean War. Alan Alda. We need that dry Bill Murray type energy, and I think Alan Alda's Hawkeye could do it. You, and you literally mean Hawkeye, don't you? You don't mean Alan Alda. You mean the character. It's Hawkeye. basically Hawkeye. Yeah. You He's mean- like, guys, this is crazy. There's ghosts here. Alan Alda as a bow and arrow Avenger. That's what you want on this team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm going to move that to the very top of the maybe pile. Greg? All right. Um, I didn't realize when I was a kid, and of course I didn't, but like a lot of the characters in the movies of 82 are, you never see them do cocaine, but their attitudes <laughs> and like physical demeanors are clearly informed by cocaine. Like There's a couple scenes in this where Dustin Hoffman is obviously like just absolutely zooted up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and so I think that what we really need the the guy that was like Captain Cocaine back in 1982, Robin Williams, literally climbing the scenery during his special, just so absolutely fired up, talking like in three different stories at the same time. And um, I think that that's we need that we we will never see him do it, but like right before they go for a good bust in, uh, he'll just like come out of the bathroom, kind of like sniffling, and just be like, "All right, guys, let's go." And that's good. Bustin, go. Bustin Bust makes him feel ghosts. good. What year is it? Right? Bustin <laughs> makes him feel good, but not as much as cocaine, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is in. This is on. Uh, Robin Williams, especially th- this Robin Williams this year is the world according to Garp, um, which is not the Robin Williams that we think, but we know behind the scenes of Garp. Woof. That guy was yeah, going dude. off. The world according to Garp, covered in snow. Zootin' s- and tootin'. Brr. Time to go skiing again. All right, we only have one left. Uh, So let's go to speed round. Mike, what do you got? Uh, If we're not going to Alan Alda, but we want that laid back. If we're not going to Alan Alda, I suggested Alan Alda, but if if I'm what I'm to hear, what I'm to believe is that Alan Alda will not be on the mountain. (laughs) Hey, humorous everyman. Uh, I'm going to call him Ted Danson, the devil's Alan Alda. Absolutely not. Ryan. No, rejected. <laughs> Cheers was just starting to get big. Ted yeah. Danson, you love Cheers. I uh, I would rather have look at me, Sandy. I'm dancing than Ted dancing. Greg, what do we got? <laughs> All right. Um, you absolutely you need someone with the experience of killing something that it, it doesn't. It's not easy to kill something that can blend in. I think what you need is Kurt Russell. Okay, uh, I was waiting fe- for this shit. His feathered hair blowing in the breeze. Oh, I can't believe we got to kill these fucking ghosts. They already died once, and now we got to do it ourselves. Um, I think he has what what it takes, which is what I've said about every single person. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's but for Kurt Russell, I really believe it. Uh, I was lying all the other times. <laughs> Greg is a principal at uh, just graduation. Just And this kid... <laughs> Who's graduating? Yeah, he has what, what it, it takes, takes. Um, to, to get the hell out of here. <laughs> I want to hear Mike's final entry, but Kurt Russell, that is a tough one to beat. Mike, go okay, ahead. I, I have a final entry and a Rick Moranis, right? We haven't done a Moranis yet. We haven't had, I was going to pick from my list of Moranis, but we'll, we'll make a little special spot for yours. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you want that zany energy. People love this guy. You don't know what you're going to get. He could play eight different characters on here, so you need to go straight. You need to cab driver, sure. Uh, it's Andy Kaufman. He's flying high off the taxi. He's been all over Fridays. His energy is freaking weird. He's going to do the whole thing like in character. <laughs> yes. As a ghost. As Slimer. <laughs> Listen to you talk about Andy Kaufman. Did you do a toot and a zoot? Me? I yeah. did a little toot and a zoot. Okay. The devil's Tylenol. <laughs> all right. Do you guys have, Greg, do you have a specific Rick Moranis? 
Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. We usually only pick one person to play Rick Moranis because uh, Rick Moranis is classically just one person. But <laughs> I recommend that we pick 1982's uh, record superstars. And I think maybe they've been on TV at this point. Cheech and Chong. They had a hit movie in 1982 called okay. Things Are Tough All Over. Okay. So I want them. I also want the bus, <laughs> the, the VW bus. Oh, from After and Hours? Then, yeah. And they're just like... Uh, they're kind of you know like they're they're trying to figure it out but they're like high all the time so um <laughs> but they they both agree that they have what it takes mike uh she's been popping up for years here and there in movies and sitcoms and then went from guest to reoccurring on taxi carol kane i think brings Ooh. the zaniness you want from a rick moranis these are so good um all right well to get extra points there was uh, three people you guys could have said. That was Richard Pryor, uh, yeah. John Ritter, and the big one was Leslie Nielsen. Police Ooh. Squad just came out. Yeah, I thought he would be he would have gray hair as a Ghostbuster. Uh, your on the mountain right now is Eddie Murphy, John Belushi, and Robin Williams. Your oof, this is gonna be this is gonna be rough. Your fourth Ghostbuster is Kurt Russell. Frank. Your yeah. Rick Moranis is Cheech Brick. and Chong. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, let's spend this break coming up with the devil's blank because you are getting <laughs> fucked right now. I'm going to do a lot of writing. When we come back, <laughs> back to Tootsie. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Gentlemen, <clears throat> taste buds. How well does Tootsie hold up as a comedy? It's a hangout comedy, a romantic comedy, a workplace comedy, and a show business comedy all at once. Is it funny? Or is it only possible to appreciate it as a movie that was considered a comedy in the past? All of that is to ask this. How well do the farcical aspects work with the social commentary that we talked about in the last segment, aspects of the movie? Ryan, I'm going to say something absolutely scandalous right now. I am ready. This movie is a shoe-in for best on-screen duo. And I, there's like three different duos that mm-hmm. that could apply to. That's where the real comedic heart of this is some really great on-camera, um, like, two-man games run through Bill Murray and Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman and Terry Garr. Um, there's, like, so much quality just, like, back and forth in this. Even, I the, think even There's a grossness to a lot of Dustin and Sydney, but there's also yeah. the other half is quite funny if you ignore the grossness. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. again, the movie's never very, very is it never entirely comfortable, and so those scenes especially aren't. But there's also a lot of really funny parts during those scenes. But especially th- those scenes, the butt Work. of the joke is not Dustin is Dorothy. It is look at Sidney Pollock being such a weird asshole, and I was surprised how much of the jokes were not. A man dressed like a woman. Can you even imagine? Yeah. There's so many of the jokes are Michael Dorothy is a monster and people have to deal with that. And everybody's ridiculous in their own specific ways. I mean, if you heard it, like, before we watched this movie, if you, if you hadn't seen it before and you just heard about it, you'd be like, oh, there's going to be a scene where, like, from the second story, a bunch of fruit falls on his head and mm-hmm. he has to dance, like, that one lady who danced with a bunch of fruit on, the like that's the Chiquita sort of like, banana lady, the Chiquita banana lady, or like it's just going to be like a bunch of people spitting into stuff because they accidentally kissed a boy, a la right. Ace Ventura, a movie that's fifteen years older than this movie. That's the kind of stuff that I think you think you would have got. The punchlines aren't are rarely, I will say rarely, maybe not always, but rarely about what you think they're going to be about. The the biggest one is the doctor does the Banaka spray as he's checking out Dorothy on her first day. But again, the bigger joke there, because Dorothy isn't comfortable with that when she realizes what's about to happen, but the bigger joke is, isn't this guy a slime ball? Right, but isn't isn't Michael all of the gay panic in those scenes because he just he won't kiss a guy for his acting yes. career? I, I have to say, though, like, is it just that he doesn't want to kiss Or it's not scripted man? and he's being force-kissed. I think it's that that guy is particularly nasty. I don't yeah. know. I don't know that he would have like. It would be interesting to see him. Greg, that is Commandant Lassard of the Police Academy. <laughs> well, okay, he's dude. not nasty because of out. how he looks. He's nasty because the women are all like, "Oh, he does this to everybody," and he'll probably grab your ass and too. He loves so the goose. And... He looks like somebody's grandpa. So the idea that every young woman that comes through that show has to make out with this old stinky dude and like i don't know like we don't have binaca spray anymore i know but it did it really didn't do a lot to improve someone's breath it basically added a different mm-hmm. element to their breath mm-hmm. where they also like it burned the user very badly but then it didn't really improve the breath it just kind of like put a layer on top of it that was also it's like when people would spray a little bit of orange on top of their poop smell so now we have right. poop and orange to deal <laughs> no, with that works and so it was hard to tell what i mean ultimately that the movie does a lot of those moves so that it never has to say this character is reacting just because of gay panic this character is reacting mm-hmm. just because and right. that's i think what makes you what makes it even funny like if, if right. the jokes were directed in the, in those ways it would be very uncomfortable and, and it, you, the movie wouldn't have the heart that it does so th- they like preserved the comedic element by making sure that the jokes were for the most part directed right. in the right ways and but it it still could have all fallen apart if like I don't know we've seen Terry Gar in a few things but she is fucking like really working. This is this a masterclass. Like <laughs> honestly, like and she's not given as much attention as as the other actors. But honestly, dude, she's doing so much in every single scene that she's in, and I think she brought a lot of the feminine perspective to the movie. I know there was one um, one of the writers, the uncredited one, is a lady, right? But a lady, yeah. It's kind of a sausage party in terms of the, the director and, and the writers. And so I think she brought a lot of that, the actual feminine sensibility that is located within a woman. And she's one of the, movie. the biggest characters, but in a very, pretty believable way. Like, they're all ridiculous New York actors. So when they're big, it's like, yeah, that's how they get. Even when they're not acting, they're goddamn right. big. 
And don't you think she really got stuck in a toilet at some part and really thought to herself, I'll just use it in a movie yes. and it'll be a funny, quirky <laughs> experience. That felt so real. Yeah. And her, her reaction of like, you guys didn't hear me? Okay, you didn't hear me. Then I guess. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. And then Bill, Bill, the, the second you guys didn't hear me, she knows she heard him. Uh, Bill Murray after her pounding on the door for 10 minutes and him screaming, I'm in the shower. Uh, Murray's like, the door was open. And uh-huh. her like look back and forth and be like, I can't be as mad because now I look like an ass. But the I d- sign that... The sign that this is a good movie or that this is a good comedy is honestly like if we started playing the game of do you remember that part, mm. we would go around a lot before we stopped. Like there are probably 10 different laugh out loud, even like as a solo viewing experience, there are probably 10 laugh out loud lines in this movie. And think about and, what it would take to be a character like Terry Gower, which doesn't get a ton of screen time, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's no drama that is hinged on her really. Like drama is thrown at her, but only to fake her out. Like, in the reality of the movie and in our reality of the movie. Um, and she's a plot but, device to show Michael grows. Right. So she's really just there to like measure his height as it goes yeah. up. <laughs> like but, he has the line of, don't apologize to me when I'm three hours late. You're like, oh, he's a different person than he was 20 minutes ago in the but film. But still, he doesn't mind that it's happening until her final, I think final scene, where she's like, don't lie to me like that. My friends don't lie to me like that. I saved that for my lovers. Like yeah. her final walkout of Michael's apartment that could have been her only scene. And it's one of the funniest and uh, best performed scenes in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. The way she says, like, um, I'm going to feel this way for a while for as long as I have to feel this way. And then I just won't feel that way anymore. Like, there's so much emotional intelligence yeah. in that, you know, like that I can't I can't sidestep these emotions. But they're also not the end of the road. They're just right. a, a period. You can't fix it. You can't fix it. And I don't need you to. Her complexity is so interesting throughout the film of her being like, yeah, I'm not in love with you. I'm just mad. Like our six year friendship is ruined because we had sex and it was fun because Dustin Hoffman was a smoke show when he took his shirt off. And he was like, <laughs> I guess we're fucking now. Neither of them wanted to, but they're like, I guess we're hot. Let's just do it. Yeah. And I the think whole she time, wanted to. She wanted to. There's definitely a, they, they have a flirtatious friendship. Right. But like she's not head over heels for him. It does just come back to the lies. Like she is stronger than any character in the movie thinks she is. what she has like. done is she has a long past of people just treating her like shit and her like yes. blaming herself and so she's like michael you're hot we could do this it, it'll be fun to say that about dustin hoffman is so weird like oh dustin you're so hot but just don't fucking fuck with me that's all you have to do yeah. and that he's like well well i can't i know i got this over here and and don't lie to me constantly and reflexively mm-hmm. like it it's it's the like he doesn't go to communicate after they have sex. He never once goes to communicate with her without lying to her. Like, right. Without even considering whether or not he has to. No. Nope, like, why does he have to hide easier. from her that he is Dorothy? always acting? Well, he has to. That that's the like the plot logic of she will be so upset that I, as a man, got the role that she auditioned for that I cannot tell her. And, you uh, must lie to them in order to protect them. And protect yeah, them. It, like people, like dudes, think that like, oh, I can't hurt them. What you're saying is. I think that they're weak, and mm-hmm. I can't deal. But what you're actually saying is I can't deal with confrontation. It's I am weak. I uh, cannot handle this confrontation. Men, uh, the devil's gender. I want to get to <laughs> a lot of a lot more gender talk in the next segment. But the comedy aspects of this movie. So we're all saying that like is for movie of the year, which like typically when comedies make it to the elite eight or even the sweet sixteen, it's like yeah, I can see how that was considered funny. Do we mm-hmm. laugh? Like, is this a, is this a comedy? So it, there's so many. Dustin Hoffman is a genius comedically, and I don't yes. know if I knew that before this movie. There's little things he does often when he is. Oh, alone. the star of Beat the Fockers. You didn't know about that. Okay, <laughs> I <fine>. didn't know. <laughs> I, I know his his voicemail about chimichangas and where are they? 
cracked me up. But the rest of the film, uh, him turning to the baby as Dorothy and saying, I don't like you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then him shoving the mime when he's like at his yeah. lowest point. Uh, and then in that scene we just talked about with Terry Gar, where she says, why is he thank you for a lovely night in front of the fire? His, it feels so real. It's like, my mind's a blank. Like yeah. he throws <laughs> off lines in the funniest way possible that on, on page are not that funny. Did this though, do you guys right. think, like we talk a lot about um, the damage that Pulp Fiction did to movies and Jaws mm-hmm. did to movies, but I'm, I, I'm watching this movie and learning about what it did to the box office. Did this create the high concept comedy that would persist for like all through the 80s and all through the 90s of like normal 10 minutes, something crazy, an hour of skits, an yes. hour and a half of skits, and then 10 minutes of wrap up. Like, think about Ben Stiller, Jim Carrey, uh, Michael Keaton, all of these Dave. people's careers. Dave. They were built on an hour of nothing. But, like, did you laugh, right? Like, did you do you see that high-concept comedy idea coming from Tootsie? And did it bother you here that we basically sat through an hour to an hour and a half of literally nothing happened except for the wacky hijinks of a dude dressed as a girl on a soap opera set? No, because plot didn't happen. There were 18 montages in this movie. There, and they did it all, <laughs> like magazine covers. Like, we did yes. the magazine covers. But to some of the worst growth. music you've ever heard in your entire oh. life. Uh, but character growth happened throughout those sketches, and that's what makes it so impressive. And it's minuscule, but even that's impressive, that he didn't become a great guy by the end of it. Michael Dorothy, still a pretty big piece of shit at the end of this movie. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that he won't leave Jessica Lang alone. Like, you should yes. eat shit and die at the end of this movie. Yeah, I think she needs her space. Like, it didn't work out. You lied to her so much, like, fundamentally. It's going to be okay. She goes and, like, looks up. He goes and looks up her dad and goes and hangs out with him at yeah. the bar for a little bit. And the dad says, one of the uncomfortable lines in the movie is, like, I'm glad we didn't kiss because then I'd have to kill you. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> and that okay. is not a joke. That, no, yeah. he's dead serious. He does, like, he, a, he does a flinch. He does, like, a why I oughta when they're sitting yeah. there together. There's like there definitely are three or four lines in this movie where you're like, okay, that does make me feel uncomfortable. This is 1982. Yeah. I just watching this, I sort of got this idea that this is the bridge between Nashville, like Altman, like mm-hmm. Rambly. We don't need a forward plot, and Mr. Mom, which led to like Bruce Almighty of just like yeah, multiplicity, take, multiplicity, yeah, uh, just. Uh, we don't need forward momentum. We just need to ramble along and show the human condition. But that doesn't get butts in seats. Let's clone that main character four times. I guess I just don't mind that that much because, it, like, as long We're as you're all Billy Madison fans here, how could we mind it? <laughs> I just I, I think as long as you're making the jokes. I'm what I'm saying is that I don't think Tootsie has its rightful place in Hollywood history as like sort of the creator of that mm-hmm. type of oh, movie. Oh yeah, because I think it is that if it's the stepping stone between shampoo and Billy Madison, it's going to be because it's not clearly defined. It gets forgotten more and And lost in the the conversation of gender. You think that shampoo should be the leader to Billy Madison and not conditioner who makes his hair (laughs) shiny and smooth. (laughs) Shampoo is better. The devil shampoo. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, (laughs) we're going to recast the podcast for 1982. Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. 
So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movie. As is tradition on the podcast, towards the end of it, we like to pretend. What if this podcast came out in 1982? Who would be the host? Uh, we were young or not alive then. Yeah. And babies. We were babies. And we don't want to do a uh, movie that are babies. Because although hilarious and adorable, actually not adorable. I don't think that movie either any of the three babies. of us were cute babies particularly. I was goddamn adorable. Is that actually true? Or is that just what your mom said? No, she says the opposite. <laughs> that you were an ugly baby? I was her ugliest child. <laughs> I, my family universally tells a story where I look like the guy from Goonies. <laughs> the uh, Devil's Monster Squad. <laughs> Mike. Do you mean uh, Sloth? Sloth, yeah. yeah. Okay. There was That's the kids rude at school. as hell. It was the kids at school who was like, no, you actually look like Chunk. So I was like, oh man, what a great movie. These are my <laughs> real friends. What about <laughs> Mouse or Mikey or Data or any no. of the Monster Squad? <laughs> no, none of the Monster Squad. Except for Wolfman. Not oh, because you had Nards. Because I had Nards. Yeah. yeah, you had those big old Nards. Greg in <laughs> elementary school famously had Nards. All right. So <laughs> we're Devil's going to, Vulva. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to recast uh, this show for 1982, and we're going to start it off with one Mikey G. Now, I um, am hosting, so I'm deciding who wins, but also, <laughs> you guys have hosted before, right? Yep. I right, uh, time or two. also get to pick somebody, and then also I could pick myself as the winner? Yes. Yes. Okay. That seems weird. But uh, yeah. Mike, we'll start with you, and Greg, we'll start with you casting Mike. Who is 1982's Mike Gravania? Okay. So Mike is like spooky, kind of kooky. Um, Altogether like, ooky. Uh, probably a little bit scary. You don't really want him in your house, and if he somehow gets in there... You gotta like find maybe professionals to take him out of there, much like the poltergeist from the movie <laughs> The Poltergeist. He's your poltergeist. Yeah, so, um, very ultimately cool, great look. Like, definitely when you see him. Which look of the poltergeist are you getting? I guess the big here? skull, um, or maybe yeah, the weird, metal. like, w- yeah. Is it the I mean, guy, like, is the guy at the end stick. in front of the door just doing that dance? Do you remember that big skull-looking guy? Yeah, like the big white kind of like lanky yeah. white dude. Yeah, maybe that. You know, kind of. I think kind of the the like up for grabs nature, the, the whole game nature. Yeah, is part of what I'm going with. I do have Mike phases. changes his fashion every exactly. Once in a while. <laughs> yeah, but basically, if like Hot Topic were a person, Ouch. and if that person were a spirit, and that spirit were in your house, you've said a lot of mean things to me over the years, <laughs> Greg. But I think the meanest is if Hot Topic were a person. You know, I love hot, hot. I almost said hot pockets. That's I, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I think about Mike, and I think about um, people inexplicably like him, and it's hard to know why. Mm-hmm. He nice. wears way more jewelry than, than you think. Than yeah, you would think, and then also. Uh, he's very difficult to understand, and he's always screaming at us and calling us fool. Mr. T. I think that Mr. <laughs> T would play Mike. That's dope. He is always driving around in that van. Mm-hmm. And I only call people on 1010220. The Devil's 1-800-Collect. Shit. What a good interruption that is. Ryan, don't <laughs> talk, because the devil's something is happening. <laughs> 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 
not that it matters because we already have our winner. But Mike, who should play uh, Mike? I also agree that I can be off-putting and be a lot for some I'm people. I'm willing to own that. But the people who like me, for whatever reason, seem to really like me. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of energy. I'm not always great at putting my ideas into reality or knowing what reality fully is. <laughs> I'm giving myself Bill Blazowski, Michael Keaton Billy from Night Blade. Shift. <laughs> you fucking wish, bro. Oh, man. <laughs> I think nice our entire try. audience wishes. Uh, but that's going to Greg. You're the Blur. guys. Ouch. All right. I'm up next. And please keep in mind that I'm the host of the show and I am awarding all the points. Mike, who is Ryan? Just when I think of Ryan, I think of decades of skill. So much skill uh, in whatever he does and talent. But what an attitude that rubs everybody the wrong way. Even if they know he'll do it right in his way, they say, fuck that guy. Uh, he gets angry. He gets drunk. He always wants two sandwiches. Two. <laughs> it's Nick Nolte, 1982's Nick Nolte. Okay, the two sandwiches was 1981's Nick Nolte. Oh, I'm okay. aware. <laughs> I'm oh, you don't think 82 Nick Nolte would order two sandwiches? All right. Uh, also extremely racist, so that good job, Mike. Greg, who's so. Ryan? Ryan is a bit of a bad boy. Um, a bit of a ne'er-do-well, but with a heart of gold and charm for days. And if we're going to cast that from our 1982 pool, I think we need one Harrison Ford. Oh, shit. Does things his own way, but ultimately you're like, but wait a minute, you're just a big softy and sweetie yourself. Hang on here. And then it's like, no, I'm just Mr. Cool, calm and detached. But no, you, really you're Harrison Ford. Hey, Greg. Yes. You got a little on the corner of your mouth. You got some, some drool from slobbing all over Ryan's nards. Oh, the the devil's back massage? <laughs> <laughs> We're all wolf men here. Greg. Uh, that, that was pretty good, Greg. Um, I'm going to take a little piece from Tootsie. And I'm going to say uh, incredibly good-looking guy, despite being w- uh, just way older than I actually Like, seeming way older than I actually am. Um, and walking around thinking that everybody likes me and then at some point saying hey you don't like me why don't uh, but actually why don't you like me i'm dabney coleman i'm our generation's dabney coleman (laughs) that's the director right yeah Yeah. he's such a piece of shit i was like women want me to seduce them and i do (laughs) and that's that's not on my catchphrase (laughs) i Unfortunately, I have to give that to the Devil's Greg. Mike. Uh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I can't. Greg, you're the Angels Greg. I'm the Devil's Greg. <laughs> totally shocked. Uh, and then finally, there is Greg. I will start. He was brought up for Ghostbusters. Who is the gray-haired or like gray, uh, speckled, um, quiet, calm voice of reason who always makes us feel better? He's sort of our daddy. In like a fatherly way, mm. but sort of our daddy in a sexual way. Sort of our <laughs> zaddy. The devil's it's Alan daddy. Alan Alda. Greg? Huh? Alan Alda is the Greg of this show. <laughs> Mike, who you got? Uh, when I think of Gray, Greg, <laughs> I think... My uh, hair's not that gray, <laughs> I listeners. I choked on you my drink. Did the, you did the... Uh, were you looking at a girl who's naked and you're like, oh, <laughs> dude, would you like another tits? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think of the curly hair, a very specific elevated way of speaking and it kind of settles most people his presence and makes other people uncomfortable it's kirk (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you guys realize that Recast the Podcast is the most we ever talk to each other about each other <laughs> in our lives? That's how I learn how you guys think about me every year. <laughs> a guy who's obviously going through something, and if he needs to talk about it, we're always here to listen. Uh, all right, so we have Alan Alda, we have Kirk. Uh, maybe I should have gone con, but Greg, are you going to go con? No, I'm going to... Uh, this is a guy who was like old forever. There was never a time when this was a young man. And so we remember him as being so much older than he was. And uh, that's much like me. And then also uh, he had iconic facial hair that to just take it away made him almost look anonymous. Which if I ever shaved my beard, I like seriously nobody would recognize me. I am 1982's Greg is Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> the devil's walrus. <laughs> the devil's walrus. Mike. Oh, can you imagine being in hell? You're like, well, can I at least see <laughs> the walrus pit? <laughs> just 30 Wilford Brimley's. Diabetes. <laughs> All right. That's that's so good. I, th- I, I really thought, I didn't put me or Mike as Kurt Russell while watching the thing, but I put Mike as Wilford, or Greg as Wilford Brimley immediately. <laughs> so Greg's going to get that point. I was horrified preparing for this and even throughout Greg's buildup that you were just going to say the thing. I'll take the poltergeist <laughs> yeah, over the thing. So did I. The thi- uh, poltergeist is not that bad compared to the thing. So your 1982 episode of Movie of the Year is hosted by, and you guys asked for this, I'm Nick Nolte, and I'm going to host this podcast with my co-host, uh, uh, the poltergeist. Here's what we thought about all these movies. Shut up, shut up, shut the fuck up. And then also Wilford Brimley. I'm sorry, I seemed weird before. I'm normal now. Please leave me alone with one other person at a time. Is that what you want, folks? Is that what you want? Were you about to unsubscribe to our show? Well, that's what it could have been. So maybe keep subscribing, and we'll be <laughs> back in one second. Or it will become that and be forced upon you. Back to Tootsie, folks. In the end, Michael and Julie presumably end up together. A Hollywood ending, to be sure, but does the movie get the ending or the Michael and Julie relationship in Toto to work for you? No, we barely so talked about Julie, by the way. What makes this a rom-com to me is it has the beats and structure of one and the guy's a piece of shit. He goes on the same learning path Seth Rogen ostensibly goes through and knocked up, right? It's like The beats are there and like the, the who I push away and what time the movie i push somebody away and when i learn what lesson all hits but it the the actual rom of the com is so much more michael falling in love with dorothy and the world falling in love with dorothy michael and terry gar don't make sense and michael and jessica lang don't make sense and the movie always feels like i guess we should put them here and especially the ending feels so false the base the best relationship is michael and sandy and honestly like it almost feels like instead of the romantic part, because like you find yourself sort of reflexively rooting for Michael and Julie, Mm -hmm. but you don't want Michael and Sandy to end up in a romance with each other. You want them to fully define their friendship on the, as the, for like the last time so that they are locked in as definitely just friends. Mm -hmm. And that's the most compelling relationship in the entire thing. The romance is almost just like, and then you find a pretty ethereal woman with problems and you you sort of like fall for her but your real meeting of the minds takes place with somebody who is more like your friend i didn't see it like that 
I saw, and we talked about this in the first segment, but I saw Julie coming to terms with the fact that she is falling in love with a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and that she's maybe a drunk, which the movie like is like, are we going to do something with this? Yeah, I, man, I learned a lesson there. Like, oh, you don't have to concern yourself about that. Anytime I'm in an intervention or whatever, I can just say that. Uh, do you want to finish the one glass of wine before? <laughs> why, she always had like three sips of wine and then she would top herself off. But I thought yeah, her response then it's just, besides, I'm just going like, to have one glass on a Tuesday night. And if it never <laughs> empties, that's oh, all yeah, one glass. That's <laughs> um, I thought the response, too, of like, it's uh, it's a vice, but it's not fattening, you know? And like, uh-huh. other she than. She drinks differently than I do. <laughs> well, you drink. Yeah. You we be- just didn't know the things about white wine that we know now. Like, that's a super sugary wine, lady. Plus, Mike's drink is half white wine, half Oreo cream filling. So yeah. that's going to that's gonna plump you up, bro. The uh, devil's mimosa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for hating this game to Greg, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I just straight up did. Um, but I, I do think that Julie is uh, falling in love with Dorothy way more. They didn't do the thing of, like, say, uh, classic movies like Batman and Batman Forever, where Chase Meridian, played by Nicole Kidman, is falling in love with Bruce Wayne and Batman at the same mm-hmm. time. They didn't do that. They left Michael basically out except for one party scene where she fucking trashes him. And they said, or how about we do like a uh, being John Malkovich thing where she's like, okay, I do love you, but I love you only as Dorothy. Dorothy. Oh, that'd I don't be love such a Michael Dorsey. Darker, more Dorothy. interesting, more nuanced movie would that be? That's why being John Malkovich is probably the superior movie. To, <laughs> to well, let me ask you guys this. Did... Because I don't know if this was commonplace to just force this Hollywood ending on there that it that it feels like now where now it's mm-hmm. like so commonplace that it's gross. Do you guys think that uh, Tootsie tried to earn it and maybe didn't, or forced it on there and then gave decades of movies this like false hope of oh we just have to do that at the end and then we'll you know be what fine. it is I think it's more like how there are certain Jane Austen stories that have happy endings. But if you read them, they don't really seem that happy. Mm-hmm. Like Pride and Prejudice at the end doesn't seem that happy. Sense and Sensibility at the end doesn't seem that happy. You don't really leave the those books feeling like what you've gotten are perfect relationships. And I think that's what you got to get in this. It's like, this is what happens at the end of this story, but it's not... We don't think it's perfect because we've seen how it's not. At the right. parlor I go to, every Jane Austen book I read has a happy ending. It, so. Oh, that's <laughs> disgusting. Oh. Uh, what it reminded me of is it's the graduate. It just ended thirty seconds earlier. Mm-hmm. Where right now they're just they're walking, but the minute they sit down for coffee, she's gonna be like, "Wait, I'm just calculating how long you lied to me." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and so this is the '70s becoming the '80s in this moment. Uh, this is the the seven like we we, do, we're, we are gonna have sort of a '70s movie. It's shambolic. It like you know like that cut from Michael beco- going from like I have an idea to becoming Tootsie. That was one second. Yeah, dude. And then uh, at the end, saying, like, well, yeah, but we should, like, land this plane perfectly. That is the 70s becoming the 80s in mm-hmm. this year, 1982. And you said, Ryan, that it was like a script bouncing around during the 70s, right? That opened my eyes up. I did feel like there was a very heavy 70s vibe in this. And I feel like even though it got made in 81, 82, that, like, it never really lost kind of the, that 70s underpinning. Right. Because it. every two years of the following decade is really the previous right. decade. And yeah. the 80s are the devil's 70s. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, I do think that uh, the first two years of any decade is basically that's owned by the previous decade. But the last two years of any decade, that belongs to the 90s. And it always will. <laughs> the last two years of any decade is any the decade. 90s. Any decade, yes. 1929, that's the 90s, brother. Guys, the 90s fucking ruled. Do you remember that shit? We were kings. <laughs> <laughs>
We were on our huffies, on each other's pegs, just flipping around, drinking Surge. Let me ask you guys this. How does Tootsie do it queering the rom-com at this time where we had rom-coms that it wasn't like it was about to be, right? Like, we're still uh, kind of far away from Meg Ryan, regular movies coming out. This is sort of like a Barbara Streisand rom-weepy era, mm-hmm. not the rom-com. But uh, how does it do with queering it up? With that and the air it comes out and the, the queerest thing, like how it queers it is by making it funny. It's not Yentl, right? Another cross-dressing movie. Dude, Yentl's uh, fucking hilarious. <laughs> but it, it's, we kind of talked about it in the first segment where it dances around queering it and runs up to the point. But all it ever does is Dottie patting Jessica Lange's head and then they say, oh, good night. It's and like she's like... You- you have to decide that it's a queer movie and you have to watch it as a queer movie, including the times where it goes out of its way to be like, and this is not a queer movie. Mm-hmm. You have to just be like, okay, but I'm viewing it through the lens that it is. How and mu- then I think it, it works. But How you much of that, though, is watching queer movies from before a certain year where like you sort of have to you have to implant yeah. onto it? You literally have to like, uh, and the more you go back, the more into like a secret code Mm -hmm. queerness is written into movies. And I think especially in 1982, that's, that's a way in which the, the 70s into the 80s was a a backsliding. I think this movie would have been way queerer in the 70s. And then in 82, it was just like, they obviously, they reached for mass market appeal. Like, and that's what, that's what you're going to get when, when you bring in Pollock, you're going to get like a competently delivered mass market appeal Mm -hmm movie and i think that that's they just moved away from those messages so that it didn't cost them rub any of the wrong way yeah i think what works as queering it isn't in the relationships it really is michael's relationship to Dottie, and him saying the best part of me is her and i think a more modern movie or braver movie mike he would realize why he's kind of not saying this not putting a blanket at all this is telling one person's story but why michael can't get ahead in life and is kind of a piece of shit is he's not who he really is who is dorothy and the real happy ending would be dorothy is now who they are yeah an an integrated part of his understanding of himself Mm -hmm. i think the movie did that i i I do think that like michael is forever changed and dorothy is forever a part of him yeah that speech at the end on set the live is i think very important and then i and then he has like also put into the culture the idea I know. that there that there can be the 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 opposite of that, right? Mm-hmm. That there can be like the that women can embrace a masculine energy and like declare what they want and what they need. And not to keep beating a dead horse, but there is nothing about this movie that Ace Ventura Pet didn't handle way way worse. So oh, for sure, like yeah, I think that's part of what like. This movie was made for adults at the end of the day, and Ace Ventura Pet Detective was made for young boys, and um those young boys wanted to hear those sort of like reactionary jokes do you know what did another part of because we were seven did we want to hear it or did they force it upon us yeah that's a good point no that's a good point yeah that's definitely a good point they they I mean, it felt like wanting it but it was definitely also like no other option i mean that's the way our gender was policed to such a crazy degree that everything we watched was like here's how you boy here's how mm-hmm. you straight i you mean know? And these are the so- same people who made me hate my future wife which i do check and also hate France. Like, I just, I don't like France. I don't know why. I just watched a lot of sitcoms and movies when I was These a kid. These frogs always thrown the white flag. France, that's the devil's America. Who knows? I've never met a French person, but they're terrible to me. Uh, let's go to, holy shit, it's about to happen. Guys, 
It's speed round. This movie handles a very sensitive topic with very many potential problem era- areas. So how does it do when it comes to covering daytime TV? <laughs> I uh, I feel like daytime TV is something that has enjoyed popularity in a couple of different eras, and it has always cycled. And I think at some point when they moved the daytime TV into nighttime slots, like Melrose Place and uh, 90210, and probably the generation before that, we lost some of the appeal of daytime mm. TV or something like that, or the niche got filled in other ways. But this really makes the case for like the world stopping at like 2 p.m. Yeah. during the day for people to watch. I love that those. shit. Like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to open up my desk drawer because I have a portable TV right, right there, even though it's 1982. And because I think part of it was, oh, they have to go live sometimes. There's a doctor who reads up. There's like a knowing, if you love that shit, you know it's campy in ways and you bring dark shadows i remember watching with my stepmom and you would see a boom mic in every other scene and it's hilarious (laughs) and it's not like oh what piece of shit it's just like yes this is why you watch it find they have to make this thing non-stop because it's on basically every single day dark shadows is legendary because you would see on the set uh like uh somebody would bump out and that was a painted door and then you would the actor would realize it and so they would walk around and go through the real door that was actually there (laughs) dark shadows is i've never seen a second but is allegedly legendary um i also think that it does so much like it could have been the recording industry let's say it could have been music Mm -hmm. but the fact that it's soap helps the farcical nature of the movie everything's big and broad and it gets away and a lot of coming the... out like there's the possibility for his to announce who he yeah. is in a way that like organically works doesn't it feel like M- dorothy coming out as michael elevated soap because it was a pretty boring soap before that yeah. of just hospital drama but now that there's like secret treachery in their past and fake identity so we have hollywood trying to compete with tootsie's like high high concept comedy but now we have soap operas yes trying to compete with southern generals soap opera enos I uh, love his like end of the D and D campaign expository ten minute <laughs> like this is my whole deal uh, speech. That's Stroud for sure. <laughs> you can only give one name. Who does Michael mistreat the most? Michael. <gasps> Mike I'm gonna say Terry Gar. If someone gives you a nickname, do they have to ask you if they can call you that nickname? Like, hey Dottie, can I call you Dottie? Like, once you give somebody a nickname, I- can't you just call them that? I think Dorothy commands so much respect as a name to use the diminutive Dottie. I think or Dot. I think you got to get like permission on dots that are small. It's yeah, but they are the ice cream of the future, aka the devil's <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it depends on uh, every relationship, right? Like if uh, the director called Dorothy Dottie, no, that Jessica Lang does, that's okay. Every really and like and that it's Dottie and not like you dumb hoe. Like, I think the kind of nickname it is and who right. does it matters. Like also, fa- it's a clue as to the the way in which her feelings are getting confused within her. Because it's you don't normally say that to someone who is just, like, your girlfriend. But somebody who might be your girlfriend, then you do need, like, an extra, you know, layer of permission to start calling them by a nickname like that. I love, love uh, early Lang and Hoffman in this movie where they're just hanging out and, like, uh, I'm embarrassed about my mustache. Okay, I won't talk mm-hmm. about it. I'm embarrassed about uh, my drinking. I'm embarrassed about my kid. Like we have, we are never told who the father of that kid is, and no. they just they just work with each other on what their relationship will be in the future instead of 
can I chisel you about who you are from your past? And you can tell, like, the idea, he is so shocked by her single motherhood. Uh Like, uh, that was really looking into a different time. His reaction to her being like, I've never been married, and him being like, whoa, now I need to have a drink, because you have a baby, so, like... I need there's to have a drink. Be- That's straight out of 82 movies. There's, yeah, <laughs> like, oh, oh we got to sit down. Like, uh, you know, I th- that's how shocking it is to him that she would be a single mother. And he rolls with the punches, but he nearly, like, faints because of that. Is there any way that Mrs. Doubtfire exists without Tootsie? No. Mrs. Doubtfire was invented in that scene because there's a nanny who looks kind of like Dorothy but meaner standing next to Dorothy and somebody went, give this to Robin Williams. They're e- Robin Williams character is also in show business. It's all, it's straight up. What if we made this nineties goofier and campier yeah. and no romance, even the hinting at stuff is going to be lifted out of here. Also, I thought it was a little suspect that there's also a drive by fruiting in this <laughs> movie. Yeah. But our rule is one drive by fruiting per movie or we're not watching you. That's true. <laughs> Does Michael move out west at some point and teach Barry Berkman how to act 40 years later? This is Gene Cousineau's origin story. Is Barry story. a sequel to the way The way Sidney Pollock as the agent describes Michael is exactly how everybody <laughs> describes Gene Cousineau. Oh, yeah. And even his acting style, like it just add 40 years and grumpier, and yes, this is Gene Cousineau's at, origin. Anytime this movie was like talking about acting or displaying acting as acting, it was like so wooden and so mm-hmm. weird that I, and I couldn't tell if that was kind of the point that like whenever they were supposed to be doing acting mm-hmm. it was obviously very stylized so you can tell it as different from their natural right behavior but then also just the things said that felt very improv about acting like when he's doing his seminars early on man some of that advice seemed really weird and backwards well just just like Barry, and just like if we had a podcast about podcasting, you do a thing long enough, you love it, but you also fucking hate it and the people who do it, so you're going to point out how dumb it is. Also, you live long <laughs> enough to be the podcasting enemy. So, yes, that's always going to happen to you. Uh, uh, there was one, something that happened to Barry. Oh, there's a character in Barry named Fuchs, and I've never heard that name except for there's a character in The Thing named Fuchs. Uh-huh. It kind of looks like fucks. And that's just... That's Bill Hader, right? Like, we're just, right now, in 82, we're marching through Bill Hader's childhood, figuring yes. out what gave him all of his ideas. And it's probably Tootsie. One last question, guys. Um, other than Spielberg, Sidney Pollack has directed more movie of the year movies than any other director. Is this how it should be? Yes. We, we, oh, it's, that's, that's Mike. Mike got it right. Because, like, Greg was right how he described Pollack. He is, he is a uh, workhorseian, right? He is, you're not going to, it's not going to be flashy, but we really dug the Yakuza. It seems like we really dig this one. And what was the third? I know what there was, was the third? third? There's a big three days shoot. of the condor. Three, three days, days of the condor. condor. And even them, if they don't all, if we don't fall in love with them, all of them have been movies we've chewed on and went back and forth and go, this makes me uncomfortable sometimes. And isn't that interesting? Even though he's literally never been talked about in an auteur sort of way. I've had yeah, a blast talking about these Sidney Pollock movies. And then also he has acted in Tootsie and he was the star of Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, and, and he gets the job done. Like, it's not, you don't always have to, like, dazzle. You don't mm-hmm. always have to. He lets the writing, he lets the acting, and he got really good performances out of these people. Like, the, probably the worst performance is his own, and even that is pretty good. Yeah, I think it's pretty um, good. Like, he's not the kind of director that when you see that he casts himself, you're like, oh, come on. He right. usually does a pretty good job. I do think that there's... Oh. <laughs> we have I to... do think that there's... there's uh, He's not great, but he is 
it's definitely serviceable. He's fine, and he sucks up all of the panic, like gay panic, trans panic <laughs> moments, and so that's that's a grenade to fall on there, director. Uh, we have to get out of here. And speed round is over, but uh, Spielberg has directed more movies than Sidney Pollack that are movies of the year. One point each, one at a time. Greg, your first go. For we're doing Spielberg oh, eyes, eyes wide shut. Greg. Jaws. Mike. That uh, that have one movie of the year? No, no, no. Just that we've talked about we've talked about 130 movies tonight. Oh. AI. Five of them directed Greg. by Spielberg. E.T. Mike. One more. Oh, uh, the color purple. That is correct. We're going to take a break. Oh, bonus come back. one. Hook. Oh, shit. And he was the producer for Goonies and basically directed that. And, and he was the producer maybe of arguably directed Poltergeist. <laughs> All right. You guys got three more points than were technically allowed. That's crazy. When we come back, we are going to give out the awards for this movie and see who won the battle of this film. Gentlemen, we uh, pride ourselves here on bucking the system. I would say fucking the system. Like we're a couple of ragers against the machine um, and saying we don't care about the Oscars. This movie was nominated for nine Academy Awards. We care about those ones. But only one won. And the one it won was a surprise and was some controversy. We'll get to that later. What? Best original song. <laughs> it was nominated <laughs> for best original song. It did not win. Oh my god! Uh, I also know that Diane Warren did not win that year as well. Uh, let's get to some different awards, starting with recommendation. Mike, you just watched Tootsie. You come yeah. out of the theater. You can smell that fucking disgusting smoke that comes out of the sewer grates of New York. Where are you headed next? I want some gender bendy rom com fun from a movie that's older then I think it capable of handling that well. I'm going straight from Tootsie to one of my top three favorite movies of all time. Can we guess? Something Like It Hot. Oh. Oh, Something Like It Hot. Sorry. <laughs> what would you have guessed? <laughs> well, I know. I, I just know what a... You said older than this movie. I didn't hear that part because I was interrupting you. I thought you were going yeah. straight Hedwig with everything. I often do talk about Hedwig. Yeah. That's true. You know what? I'll recommend them both. Go to Hedwig and the Angry Inch if you want more music and go to Some Like It Hot if you want more laughs. There's a lot of music in Something Like It Hot, too, Mike. They're, There's they're a lot a of music. Big band, yeah. But I meant more music than Tootsie, I guess. I'm just going to do one recommendation, Ryan. Is that okay? Or Well, you'll do two when I spoil <laughs> it and scream another one it could have been. We act like I decided to carve out time and say I need two. Oh. We are on a... I brought a nail gun to an FBI office right now with Mike. He <laughs> is nail gun. killing it. The devil's weapon. Uh, no, but I want to talk to Mike about Something Like It Hot. Have you ever seen it? Me? Yeah. Yes, I said it's one of my top three favorite movies. You didn't hear that because you were interrupting me. I'm sorry, what? What's it's it? got it's got the all time gender bendy ending line. The best the best last line of any movie. Yeah, and like the, the and w- the thing that you want in all these movies, which is for one character to be like, I understand. Yeah, I, yeah. It, I'm not blind. I can I, see. Like, I got I see it what's from being, the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> like, I see what's being presented to me, and this is what I'm interested in. I promise you, I am making an informed choice here. All right, consider Greg's support your has spoils, earned Mike a point. Cons- <laughs> consider your spoils alerted, but the, the very rich guy who's been going after Jack Lemmon the whole movie, when Jack Lemmon's finally like, I'm a man, the rich guy says, nobody's perfect, and then it they f- literally sail into the sunset. But stop short of saying Pobody's perfect because I think that would have ruined the movie. Also, I think it would have elevated it even more. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mike, you're on a movie podcast. Uh, this movie also has Tony Curtis doing a crushing Cary Grant impression for like half uh, the time and fucking and finally taking it to Cary Grant. In a real mocking way. Yeah. yeah. When he's being like his Yancey or whatever his rich, like he has three personas in this movie and whenever his rich one is the biggest middle finger to Cary Grant. Oh, it's delicious. Also, um, uh, Jack Lemmon's super, <laughs> super hot in this, in Some Like It Hot. Like, Tootsie, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, she, she's just not doing it for me. Do Dustin Hoffman, it's, not your vibe. it's hard to completely uh, hide that, that face. But Jack <laughs> Lemmon... Mm. Do you know what the br- one of the brilliant moves of Tootsie is putting those glasses on? Like, dude, those glasses were extremely those important. Sell the entire thing of like, I'm not yeah. trying to be like a hot broad on the town. I'm big wig, big glasses, yeah. basically covered head to toe constantly. Like, she shows no skin at all. That's how Rogue should dress. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, your pick was something like it hot, which is also my response to uh, my server at the Hot Wings restaurant. Something like it hot, but not me. Ba- barbecue, please, is what I asked for. <laughs> please, mild as, mild as could be. As mild as possible. <laughs> mild, the devil's hot sauce. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true, but Greg gets <laughs> the point. <laughs> Greg, what's your recommendation? Um, if you want a story about walking the world in two different genders, with two different gender presentations, and then ultimately maybe not belonging to either uh, a book that i find very found very eye-opening was middlesex by jeffrey eugenides uh, which is about a intersex child who's born and then lives um like part of their life as a woman or as a man part of their life as a man and um just sort of like likening that back to uh the the myth of tiresias you know like what wisdom you know <laughs> what wisdom <laughs> Well, Tiresias was like the prophet that was basically lived as both a man and a woman at different times in his life. He saw uh, two snakes having sex and struck them down. And then the gods were like, now you're going to be a man sometimes and a woman some other times. Yeah, just and let snakes bone. Guys. Tiresias, his whole thing was like they brought they brought Tiresias in to settle disputes between the sexes because mm. he had do- he had been both genders. And so, so the middle sex is about someone who walks that same path by being intersex and basically by the end of the movie the, the by the end of the book the main character has sort of had many different gender identities and many different gender expressions and um it's also you know eugenides is a great writer and it sort of changed my perspective on a lot of things so middle sex. Would, would you describe middle sex as the devil's orlando no <laughs> nothing for virginia that Wolf point was relying on greg's response <laughs> fuck and you <laughs> and he knew that <laughs> when did middlesex come out greg I want to say 2003. I feel like uh, that that's a guess, but uh just to date me uh and god, what a dream for both of you. Uh just to date me, I feel like the first If only, but we what we want we can never have, Ryan. The first two books I ever heard of in my life that should be like considered canon were Middlesex and The Corrections. Yeah. I, I remember when both of those came out. 2002 Middlesex. What about Corrections? Pulitzer Prize winner. Oh four. Uh, I want to say like oh four or oh five, but so I was also doesn't want to agree with me. Eighties and nineties had no books. We had to wait no till books. the two thousand. It was all fucking John Grisham. What about the world according to Garp? What about no, wait, the guy who wrote less than zero? What about Pop Filter Hall of Famer Michael Crichton? He was fucking cranking out books oh, like that's crazy. True. All of them should have won Pulitzer Prizes. Is canon. My the correction is two thousand one, Ryan. Many people say <laughs> it was the worst thing that happened in two thousand one. <laughs> <laughs> My recommendation. And I want I, I try to go off stuff that like uh, 
maybe people haven't heard of or at least haven't talked about in a while. So I wanted to bring up the Birdcage to you guys. And is this still yes. a movie that is considered? Is it on the pop culture radar at all? And if not, I haven't seen it in a long time. Do you guys think that if we were to do that year, ninety five, ninety six, would we be disgusted or would we be like stoked about the Birdcage? It being in the mid nineties does make me scared because at this point we've passed the Finkel Einhorn line, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is when things start to go downhill for LGBT jokes and comedies. But it's Nathan Lane, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel like he wouldn't. And I don't think Hank community. Azaria would ever be in something where no. he played someone that like, he didn't know. Mocking right a different to. culture? That's, yeah, that's, so no, I think we're in his way. I do have to say, when you say the name of that movie, I'm like, I get excited. And then I'm, then when you ask, like, do you think that you'd be comfortable with it now? I do start to, like, ooh, I don't know. But I guess I feel like I have a pretty positive feeling. I bet, I bet it, it holds up. Even I bet it holds up as well as Tootsie. It's Mike Nichols, who was com- yeah. com- comedy partner with Elaine May, uncredited screenwriter of Tootsie. And also it was Robin Williams who made the 1982 uh, Ghostbusters. But <laughs> this was a different Robin Williams that like we literally had ever seen before where he was like, everybody else go off. I will just stand here and I will like I will be the straight man for whatever that Put term is. Put my hands on my hips and just react like by rolling my eyes to all the other wildness. Yeah, I don't. And then I, I remember Hank Azaria being very, very, very gay. Maybe that's offensive. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I, I would be interested to do a show on the Birdcage if we ever get to that year. Or maybe we'll have an opportunity to do the French one. The Casafo, Le Birdcage. All right, let's get to the awards that are specifically dedicated to Tootsie. We are starting with Murriest Moment. Mike, what is the Murray's moment? Uh, it, it's in the end. It's uh, the whole world, a la Truman Show, is watching Tootsie. And Dorothy to Michael does their big speech. And it cuts to Murray and he goes, that is one nutty hospital. <laughs> and it's such a dry <laughs> delivery. And it's the most Murray line in the movie. Uh, okay, Greg. Uh, there's early on, he is uh, like... At the party, uh, at the the surprise party, he's like talking about what his plays mean mm. to people, and I'm pretty sure he misdelivers a line, and he goes to stop, and then he's like, "Well, I'll just continue, but I have to kind of do this scene differently." He the line I think is supposed to be, "He doesn't like when people come up to him and say, I got what your play meant,' and he accidentally says, "People come up to me and say, I like your play,' and he stops because he's like, "Oh wait, I messed it up,' and then he manages to like bring it all the way around to what he really wants is for someone to say, "Hey, I saw your play." What happened? <laughs> Just the way he says what happened, like, creates this total reversal. Uh, very Murray moment. But also, I want people to, like, not know what happened. That yeah. Him, yeah. him alone in that corner of the party is, having never worked in the biz, never, like, known a playwright, except for you two, which you guys, both of your guys' plays are going to be incredible. But until they get produced, never known a playwright. Uh, I, that table is at every party I've ever been to of that one guy going off. And his whole vibe is what I imagine Christopher Nolan is. <laughs> like, I don't want people to get this. But I yeah, will dude. I will, uh, like, grab onto two attractive girls at a party and tell them how little I want people to get to know this. Yeah. Man, a lot of just grabbing onto ladies in this movie, huh? Yeah. Like, maybe you're talking to her or maybe she's trying to get away from you. So you just reach out and just sort of grab her so she can't. That's, that, that's the whole thing of, like, your hand's on my hip, which that's weird. But I'm worried that if I push that away, it will become... A strong hand on my arm, 
You know, yeah, so I'll just deal with, with it. I'll deal with the hand on the hip. Uh, Strong yeah. hand on the arm. The devil's hello. That uh, that one's going to go to Greg because I bet Murray also did that at parties as much as we love him. Uh, next moment is LOL moment in a comedy. Greg, when did you LOL? Uh, dude, uh, probably like four times. But the first one, when I was first watching this movie, I w- and I was not totally comfortable with it yet. It had not totally won me over until this moment where Terry Gar, Sandy, is she's got to like do the rehearsal for this part and she just like freaks out and she runs away and then uh michael dorsey's like well you can't do that come back with me and he drags her up to the desk but then he hears news that he needs to go pursue and so he runs away and sandy looks at the receptionist and goes is he coming back <laughs> it's like that's the guy you came with yeah, that's so no idea. <laughs> and it's like I, that's when i realized i've seen terry gar in a few things that's when i realized that like oh wow this might be like her best work and it's like one of like four laugh out loud lines that she breathes complete life into i love that if we like if we dabble moody of the year seasons in the late 70s or early 80s we're gonna have terry gower in every year at least once maybe twice mm-hmm. that fucking mm-hmm. rules mike what do you she's think she's the waitress in after hours right she's the, the like, she's the, the yellow lady who brings him up to the room and she's like it's all 50s in there yeah. Right, yeah, she she worked in the, the the diner. Right. And yeah, brings him. Yeah. And her desperation starts getting ratcheted up so much that he oh, like yeah. has to flee. But that like that's sort of like the thing she has, right? Like yeah. she's yeah. A, she was a little typecast or that's the kind of star she was of like I'm always the girl who never gets the guy and I'm going to speak out about it. You know who she is? She's an exceptionally beautiful woman. But just not the kind of woman we see on in movies a lot, right? And so she's able in movies to play sort of like non-conventional women, right? And that's what that's what she really leans into in this, like not the woman who is pursued nonstop, like Julie, who just to appear is pursued by people who run up to her on the street. Instead, like Sandy has something else that's quirky and ultimately brings you in even more. Even though, Greg, if you walked past her on the street, your jaw would drop to the ground and your yes. tongue would roll out like a red carpet. I'd be like, ah, gar, it's good to see ya. Mike, <laughs> LOL moment. Uh, mine is the whole movie. There, there's moments where the whole where, like, movie. The, the whole movie. No, 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 shut up. Shut I fucking hate you guys so much. <laughs> Uh, where the whole movie worked to make it happen. It wasn't just a well-delivered line. It is uh, Michael trying to, and being like, how am I going to explain to Terry Gard how I got this money? He's like, what am I going to do? Tell her someone died and left it to me? Hard cut. She died and left it to me. And then she goes, from what? And he goes, a disease. <laughs> all of that, from the editing to the timing and all of it, made me laugh so hard. A disease. <laughs> just... From the, the hard cut to the a disease is he, it's not uh, that, so well. It's not that he lies nonstop to Sandy. It's that he doesn't even really... It's not just that. It's He doesn't even really try. Mm-mm. Like, he, he doesn't even come up with good lies. Well, where if, if you ask one question, he's automatically shut down. I mean, there's something crazy in this movie where most dudes like Michael Dorsey will lie to have sex. And he has sex to get him out of his lie. Like, he's right. caught trying to wear, his, wear her clothes. And he's like, oh, this is the best thing to do is just uh, offer myself to her. Um, I'm going to give that to Mike, but uh, the correct winner for Murray's moment and LOL moment, it's the same thing. It's where Terry Gower is outside of the apartment trying to get in, and Murray is like, I had a dream about you last night. You had very large teeth, but you were still very nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's the funniest part of the movie. That whole scene is so funny where yeah. uh, Dustin Hoffman won't stop shouting about how he's in the shower. <laughs> and then he's like in the shower, toweling off at the same time that he's washing himself. 
so, I'm so in the much shower, this, so I can't hear you. So much of this movie feels like a play, mm-hmm. and not like uh, normally we say that kind of derogatorily. Yeah. But like the way they banter and zip back and forth, and like that the rhythm of the speech is so play like. I want to get to the Pollock Award right now, but unfortunately we have cringiest moment instead. Mike, what is the cringiest moment of this movie? And can I ask you before you answer, was this hard to choose from? Like, was there a lot of options or very few options? I was shocked by how few. I thought it'd be like every minute. Uh, <laughs> the whole movie. <laughs> but the, <laughs> fuck you guys so hard. The You're the devil's friend. The <laughs> He's trying to do so Heart many of them. Da- <laughs> I'm desperate, man. I'm, I'm Terry Gar energy right now. Just throwing it out there. Uh, the part that hit because it like touched on it is the only part that touched on the violence. And then they were friends and played pool. It is the, we talked about it earlier. The only reason you're still alive is because I didn't kiss you. Like yeah. if I kissed you, I was drunk and pushing myself on you. Every time we met, if you had let me kiss you, I would murder you right now. And it is not played as a joke. And we there's a deliverance style drama that is about this same situation. That part is so weird because, like, it, it is homo like we're watching homophobia, but also it, because the movie has to end. You know, like stories right. work in a certain way. We're not seeing as much homophobia as what would really happen if this yeah. were to actually take place. All right, Greg, what do you got? So I did kind of feel like there were a lot of candidates for this. I think there's a cringiness to like just a lot of the interactions between the the sexes. Again, not that it's mean-hearted in the end. I, I think the, the movie's heart is in the right place. But the thing that really made me cringe at the end is the fact that he has sex with Sandy. He doesn't want to, and he does it under really false pretenses. And this comes from a time like the 80s and 90s where if you could convince a woman through any means to have sex with you, it was like appropriate and counted as consent. And it's like, he doesn't want to do it, and he leads her on under false pretenses, and it ruins their relationship, and it leads to, like, this avalanche of him lying to her. And it just made me feel very, very uncomfortable, because it is such a murky Mm -hmm. way to engage in sex. Like, it's sex to get out of something, but it's still deeply manipulative and and wrong, and so I just was very uncomfortable with it. See, I I totally get that, but the reason I'm going to give it to Mike is because... Mike. What uh, what a moment for the movie to deal with, and it just sort of brushed it on the film and then moved on. Whereas, Greg, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think that Terry Gar sums it up perfectly in that, uh, man, we're all fucking everybody. And I think the movie does that, too, of like, this, these parties are crazy. We are all right. fucking everyone. You just didn't have to lie about it. If Michael yeah. had said, uh, uh, do you want to just do it for this night? Like, let's just do it for this night, and then, like, it'll be over. She would have been like, cool, man. But see, the thing is, like, this is what's weird about it. Because it's she wants to and he doesn't. But it's still he do- he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't really want to have sex with her. And so it just feels icky in the end. And the whole thing of, like, but now I have to protect her. I've, I've slept yeah. with her. Now, I'm not, now I have a badge of honor where I must protect her. But what's so funny is putting him in the the pantheon of this kind of guy who like lies to get sex and his lie is let's have sex. That's yeah. his lie to get sex is I want to, uh, if you're on a scale of like revenge of the nerds to Barney Stinson, uh, he's the best of these gross guys, uh-huh. It, but it's still weirdly <laughs> coercive sex, you know, and it's still sex under false pretenses. It, and it, it is, but like, uh, in the, in the first part in his birthday party where Bill Murray did not invite Michael Dorsey's friends, he said, I invited 10 of my friends and told them to invite 10 of their friends. Uh-huh. That's how the party worked. 
he kept moving around and being like, hey, do you want to hook up? Hey, do you want to hook up? Hey, you should be the last to leave. Hey, you should be the last to take your coat off my bed. He did that to a bunch of girls. And all of those girls found somebody different. And he <laughs> watched them all leave. You know, and that was the start of like, well, shit, I'm this. This sucks. Like this whole like not connecting to people sucks. All right. Director signature, Sydney Pollack. You, we are so well versed in Sydney Pollack, Greg. Yeah, dude. This is our third Sydney Pollack movie, our f- second Sydney Pollack performance. What is the director signature moment? Okay, so I'm gonna say that I love Sydney Pollack, but he ha- he really is invested in making sure you understand what the point of his little picture was. And uh, this by the is way, never please more get the Criterion edition of this movie and watch the trailer. The trailer is Sydney Pollack saying. Look at this guy, Dustin Hoffman. He's going to be an actor, but he's going <laughs> to fail. The, the, the trailer is exactly what you're talking about. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> and um, I think when this is the most apparent is when he is uh, doing like the rehearsals or when he's doing the auditions for parts. And it's like you're getting the idea that they don't want him. And you can't see who's talking to him ever. And literally after like five shots of the, just from the dark being like, no, sorry, Somebody finally yells out, we just don't want you. <laughs> and it's like, that is what Pollock is going to do. If it comes down to it, he is going to have somebody <laughs> say, this is the point of what we're doing, rather than have you miss it. And I don't even mean that in a derogatory way, but I just feel like there's a sort of on the noseness with him. He's not afraid of doing the obvious thing. He's afraid of someone being like, why don't they like this guy? <laughs> the movie does its weird thing, too, where in the first half, it's like Dustin Hoffman is unsuccessful because he is, uh, like he doesn't look like the normal leading man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second half, it's because he's a fucking asshole. Piece of shit. Yeah. You know, and they like that part's not ever torn or put together. Mike, what do you got? Uh, if you look at Three Days of the Condor, off the top of my head, just random uh-huh. Pollock movies. The Three Yakuza. Days of the Condor, The Yakuza, and Tootsie. Uh, he on clearly he's interested in investiga- investigating masculinity. But the specific moments are the, and I guess similar to what Greg was saying, he's going to explain it is whether it's Dorothy Michaels' final speech coming out and telling everybody this is how it's going to be, or Robert Redford at the end of uh, Three Days of the Condor, or it's not a monologue; it's more of a conversation between Ken Takakura and Robert Meacham. They are lays saying, out like exactly. Here's what this whole yeah. movie was trying here's to say about doing men. <laughs> Uh, and so the now way I'm the a world little surprised works. that Sidney Pollack is the second most represented director in movie of the year. Based but you on know you who guys else talking. did that? You know who else did that? Like Shakespeare would do that. Like, you know, I mean, like if you are if you're considered a genius, that kind of move is like making sure everyone's included. Mm-hmm. So there's a negative way you can talk about it, but there's definitely like it helps if you have not been totally following along closely. He's going to make sure that you still walk away with the message. He wrote it for the those of us scrolling on our phones. Yeah, dude. <laughs> He's ahead of his time. The groundlings, if you will. Uh, I would give that to Mike because Mike pointed out how he spells out the end of the movie and not the beginning of the movie. And I guess the end is more important. But what I would say if I was running is I love how Pollock knows this is a comedy but never plays it like it. He doesn't like mm. have everybody be like, punchline's coming and then ta-da punchline you know like i think that once we get into the 80s and 90s later 80s and then 90s it's sort of comedies are sort of a sitcom of just like let's all wait because that fucking line is gonna hit and i think that pollock does a really good job with a couple of rare exceptions of being like no man this is funny all the way through yeah all right final award (sighs) waiting for this one 
And I honestly, I don't have an idea of where you guys are going to go based on this episode so far. We'll start with Mike. Pound for pound performance. I, I think that we have six notable performances in this movie. That's not mm-hmm. common with the movies that we watch. Where are you going? Yeah, I don't think there's... I don't think anybody's going to say Pollock, but like there's not, there's so few that I'd be like, oh, what? Uh, but it's one of those ones where it opened up while we were talking about throughout it is to be able to play a desperate woman who still has a strong core, who gets the world but seems naive, and all of it plays believable even when she's the biggest character in the movie. I think Terry Gar fucking crushes and should have been more than just a character actress. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about her biggest scenes, like, uh, we talked about her in After Hours, like, um, I don't know, Hall of Fame coming. Greg, what do we got? Yeah, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is either going to be Hoffman or Murray. Like, because I honestly, Bill Murray turns in a really, really solid performance in this movie um, and is maybe the, one of the most compelling characters in it. But all the way through two different viewings, no one is doing for this movie what Terry Gar is doing for it. And I think that she makes this is why we have like the pound for pound designation Mm -hmm. because you literally, the audience wants more of her story. It wants more of her perspective. It wants to, we want to hear more of what uh, her character has to say. And we want to see the actress in more situations because she's giving us unconventional quirky reads on so many of these lines and giving, giving us an energy we don't normally have. So I think even though Mike said it, I have to just underline it. Terry Gar, uh, with a bullet for me, honestly. When I made it through my second viewing, it was not particularly close. I think there's great performances by Hoffman. He delivers, it could be argued, two different performances in this movie. Even Charles Durning like, is giving a, a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think it's Terry Gar going away with it. All right, so we talked about what the controversy was, where uh, there was two lead actresses nominated for Best Actress in 1982. I think it was Meryl Streep and Jessica Lange. But Jessica Lange was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress. So we can give them both an award. We can give Meryl Streep and Jessica Lange the Best Supporting Actress for Tootsie, a movie that she was not the star of. I think that I would still go with her, even though she got with this Jessica weird Lange. award. Yeah, I, I, her like coding, her like switching who she is in every scene. Because of the people that she's in front of, whether it's like that guy at the party who she's just like, yeah, yeah, no, I'll call you. I'll call you. Or I'm at home and I'm in sweats and I'm being a mom or uh, I'm on set and I know how to disrespect the men that are in charge of me this much, but maybe not this much. You know, she changes in every scene. And ultimately, I do think that I would have to give it to her. But also for Dustin Hoffman to lose this. I don't know. That doesn't. I like no shade to Terry Yard, but like, does that not seem crazy to you guys? Not I, I have, think, like before. I had seen the movie. I would think so, but yeah. uh, experientially, she was the one I was drawn to the most. I think that there's a, a quality to Jessica Lange's performance, but you know, it, it is a comedy, and we're getting most of the comedy from Terry Gar, while still having so much humanity in that, right, and vulnerability, and then. Dustin's performance as a woman, because we haven't really done that. Did you guys buy that the whole time? Did you guys buy that the rest of the world would buy that while watching Tootsie be Tootsie or by watching Dorothy be Dorothy? That was the hard, to me. That was the biggest suspension of disbelief. Yeah, was the that that the that he could move through the world like that and people would just be like, "Oh, here's a lady." Like I, I, I think some more people would have 
I don't know, had questions or or I guess they they pointed out that she wasn't the most femme, but it's also like a time, you know, of manners and and mm-hmm. being trans wasn't widely known. Like I don't people only poked so far. I think the in Dorothy he created a kind of woman that people didn't typically deal with, but no is there. So And respect. Like so, just and respect. I I would respect your forwardness and your mustachioedness. If if you come if you step to Dorothy, she will crush you with something withering. So I don't think yeah. you're be like, I don't know if you're a woman. Roof of your mouth. <laughs> That's also true. I was very intimidated. Uh Mike, you take that point. That is Terry Gar for pound for pound performance. I would say Terry Gar, watch out for a moody or two in your career uh we're gonna take a break when we come back we're going to talk about who won this show and what tootsies uh i don't know uh, future is in the bracket gentlemen we did it I, I i do think that we were excited to watch et oh my god blade runner what is this about but tootsie the uh uh movie the 1982 movie where a dude's like oh i'll dress like a girl and deal with all of sexuality that's done we did it Woo! We did it. It's been done. So, uh, how how are we thinking that Tizzy's going to do in the final battle? Better than going before I had watched it. Uh huh. Uh, And I think it's going to so much baggage. It's important to watch the movie. Yes. Our our what's our like the only other comedy comedy we have is Forty Eight Hours, right? And it blew that out of the water. So that's kind of like winning its own little competition. Is that really the only one? Yeah. Well, we had. I think so. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Uh, well, night shift. Oh, night shift doesn't count though. But night shift was pretty funny. Oh, so fucking funny. Right. But it's a bonus episode, right? Yeah. Do you remember when Blaze so, yeah, was all like, "Ah, Michael Keaton." It was good. <laughs> That's a weird line. That was a weird line. Uh, so yeah, I like. I think it'll get some Moody's, uh, d- a lot of nominations, uh, maybe a couple of wins, and I think that it has a chance to maybe take it all down. We, uh, you guys, were in competition with the with each other. What? Uh, um, I think the last game I scored, it was 23 to 21. This one is different. <laughs> Greg, you had 41 points. Wow. That's, that's a lot so of points. points. Mike, you had 45 points. What? I feel like the this. The devil's 41 Ooh, points. Greg has 42 points. <laughs> I think 45? we all thought this that's was the Greg's show to take down, but Mike, yes. you came out on top. This is the first time all of us went, Greg won. <laughs> In unison, <laughs> holding hands. Uh, what do you attribute that to, Mike? Like, how did you win? Uh, skill, spunk, moxie, watching the movie harder than anybody ever has. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Uh, that is how you do just it. Just loading a machine gun full of the devil's blanks. <laughs> or there's just regular bullets. They're reg- yeah, the bullet, <laughs> the devil's blank. <laughs> the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was saying, that bullet's not going to kill you. Uh, I love that Bible quote. Uh, we uh, 1982 is almost over, but it's not yet. We have two more bonus episodes. We have uh, Victor Victoria. We have The Verdict. Those movies are great. And then we are going to get down to it, and we're going to figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year, if that year is specifically 1982. <laughs> oh, phew. I'd be so distraught if you suddenly brought in 97. You would have so much but... homework to do. i got to watch a bunch of movies. Shit. All right. Well... For Mike, for Greg, for Micah, what is that? For it's like a, a counter material yeah, kind of from like the 70s. Fake marble. It's nice. For Grega, nice. what is for Grega? Whatever Grega wants. 
Gregor Jets. My name is Ryan. This has been Movie of the Year. Keep watching those movies.